Hey guys, Andy Greenwald here. Channel 33 is brought to you by SeatGeek. That's our presenting sponsor, and I think, hands down, my favorite way to buy and sell tickets to all the sporting events I go to, but other things like concerts and just live events, and I've always been all about live events. You can use the SeatGeek mobile app to quickly and easily buy tickets. Just two taps and you got your tickets straight to your phone. You can't make it to the event. SeatGeek now lets you transfer tickets to your friends. You can even post your tickets for sale. Maybe I'll buy them, or someone else in the Channel 33 family will take them off your hands. As a special offer for Channel 33 listeners, SeatGeek is giving 20 bucks back from your first purchase. Just use the code BSPN. So get $20 back in your first SeatGeek purchase. Download the app. Enter code BSPN. My name is Andy Greenwald. This is my podcast, now exclusively part of the Bill Simmons Podcast Network and can be found only on the Channel 33 podcast feed. In case you didn't know this, and I kind of feel like you do by now, you can subscribe to Channel 33 on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, maybe some other apps I don't even know about yet, but please do subscribe. I want to thank all you guys for listening, and I also want to thank, once again, the amazing band Churches for giving me my dope theme song. Still kind of can't believe I have that. Churches with a V, new album, Every Open Eye, out now on Glass Note Records. Big show today, big conversation, someone I've been hoping to talk to for a long time, a guy you probably know as the uh, showrunner, co-showrunner of the great ABC drama Lost, and we've been talking about him a lot on The Watch Pod, Chris Ryan and I, because he is also the guy responsible for HBO's The Leftovers, a show that I was all the way out on in season one and came all the way back in on in the recently completed season two. Uh, Damon has been a fascinating figure because not only is he such a prominent and excellent TV writer, um, but he's also been weirdly generous about my criticism towards his shows. So the chance to talk to him about all that in person, plus The Leftovers' recent renewal for a final and third season, all on the docket. And apparently, he told me before we sat down, not only was everything on the table, the table had no edges. There is no spoon. So let's get into it. My conversation with Damon Lindelof. Have you pitched Fear the Leftovers, where you can do the prequel, oh. and you can really just... Because I guess that show is built on the idea that, like, instead of showing the dead, ruined world, we're just going to watch it die. Right. So you could just set an entire show. Prior to the departure? Yeah. Well, like, October 12th, and just set it in, like, ICUs. Nice. And you just... It's just death. Right. Just and then we could do like death. we could do webisodes, yeah, on a plane, yes, knowing that there's a two percent chance that one of the, the people pipe? in the cockpit would disappear. I'm just, and, but saying, then they don't. No, they don't because you're then, not a monster, and you've done yeah. the plane thing, right? And then like all that happens on the plane is like just like one dude in coach is gone, yeah, like and nobody knows. It's not, no, not just one dude, like the dude who was taking up too much space, the guy who was stealing both armrests, and the people next to him are just relieved, right? They're like, yeah. Oh, this worked out for us. This is good for us. This is, see? <laughs> I don't think he's coming back. Have you thought about all the IP possibilities here? It's the true. expanded Leftovers verse? The, Par- like, the Paradaverse. Anyway. I think the Langoliers, though, that's the whole premise of that, right? Like that Stephen King, oh, yeah. uh, you know, it was just about people, they, they go through a wormhole. Or that's right. Something and just in Bronze and Pinchot, isn't it? So, so it's already in the Pantheon. Excellent. So you are marinating. I'm doing, I'm marinating. Um, yeah. 
I'm sitting here uh, with Damon Lindelof. Thank you for doing this with me. So good to be here and to use Marin in the gerund form. I know. Yeah. Well, I'm yeah. experimenting with it. I it's, thought it was going well. It works. Everyone knows what you mean when you say Marin. We're marining, and you know, all those ideas we just had—they're yours. This I, I is love it. Th- this is in your office. That's um, fantastic. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. Um, you are under no obligation to have done so because you are officially finished your press obligations. Right? This is. As as much as one has press obligations, well, but yeah, the, the season was over. Yes, and... we're in the we're we're in the we're in the in the in the downtime. This yeah. is the downtime for you, and so you have this, time to do it. This is something I've been looking forward to for quite some time. Oh, I, thank you, <laughs> quite some time. Uh oh. Well, I, are we finally gonna we're gonna settle this? Uh, we're gonna have it out. It, it, I, I, it's just a it's just a chapter in what I what I hope is a very <laughs> long and um and Salieri Mozart esque relationship. That's that terrific. Ends with me. Um, much like F. Murray Abraham. Starring on Homeland. Yeah, exactly. Um, Starring on Homeland. All of it will be recorded as well. Good guess. Uh, with handheld mics. Yes. Um, we have a lot to cover. I'm eager to talk about it. Um, but I do want to begin. I feel like we have to be newsy at the beginning. Um, and we're speaking. Should I put on my cap? Yeah. Oh, well, not, the, not the musical newsies. No, this isn't video. Oh. There's no, they probably think you have it on. I'll just put it on anyway. Um, let's, we'll talk about The Leftovers. Yeah, yeah. We got the renewal for season three. Yes. The final season. Yes. Um, in my limited experience with the inner workings of these things, I feel like I've learned that sometimes these decisions are made well in advance of the public finding out about them. But it did seem through your public comments that this really was not set in stone relatively recently. Very, yeah. Uh-huh. Can you tell me about that process and that timeline? Because between the time when you actually you know, signed, sealed, and delivered, finished post on the finale to right. when this decision was made, what was that process? Um, we, uh, we, we, we finished posting the finale and there's an ongoing constant conversation with, uh, HBO on any number of, um, issues, both, um, creative and pragmatic. And then they watched, uh, they, they watched the cut of the finale and they gave notes and, um, and I think that there was, you know, they've been conveying, uh, as the entire season uh, has kind of unfolded, that they were really happy with the creative, and then when the show um, uh, started airing, um, and... so you were finished with all of it before yeah. it started airing, right? Yeah, I don't know. We were probably, I think, like episode five was probably about to air when at, right after they saw the finale, right? So everybody sort of had a sense of what the numbers were, and that the numbers were low, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, that that's a very uh, politic way of saying like disappointing or you know or frightening or like this is not the uh, you know there's this is not this is not the outcome that everyone was desiring. I think soft is the most polite word. Soft, soft. numbers. Yeah, soft numbers. That's that's right. I like it. It's uh, you know that um, that that's exactly right. And I kind of feel like um, at the time that that was happening, I was obviously having huge uh, Netflix envy because the idea of kind of like uh, being in a scenario where you, aside from uh, putting the entire show out there at one time and being able to binge it, which is another conversation entirely, the idea of like being a showrunner and not knowing how many people watch your show, like what is that, you know, like you're unburdened yeah. um, by, it's sort of like, you could say to me that 200,000 people watch Transparent or 20 million people watch Transparent, and that's really going to change the way that I do my job. Like, yeah. It's going to get in your head, and, but if you just take it off the table. So, but when you hear that you have lost um, you know, over 60% of your audience season to season, the only thing that you can 
um, think is why, like what happened and, uh, you know, what did I do to make that happen and what's the spin? And HBO was very cool about it. Like they were like, hey, look, you, you know, you had True Blood as a lead in last season right. and people binge stuff now more and we premiered in the fall and there's just a lot of noise out there on other shows. And, um, and so like, you know, don't worry about the numbers. And so, uh, but once you know what the, that the numbers are soft, you worry about the numbers. But also HBO's relationship to the numbers is always a little perplexing to me because they matter and right. they share them now, but they almost screwed themselves because they only, I feel like they only started sharing them once they had crazy numbers for the Sopranos and Game of Thrones. Sure. And then once you let that out, you know, so much of their business model depends on chatter, you know, right. and on prestige and awards, but also good buzz, good, good vibes. I mean, these and building a strong content library. So those do factor in, right? Yes. They, they probably made that clear to you. And, and if you're on a continuing series, the ratings factor in much more significantly than like, I have no sense, uh, even as a consumer of media, how many people watch Show Me a Hero or Olive Kitteridge, you know, like, right. who cares? Like, they're done. So the, it's yep. not like you're going to pick up like, you know, more show me a hero. Like you like that hero. I've got more hero to show you. <laughs> show me heroes. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, that Oscar Isaac is now ascendant. Like people will have heard of that, that that's, young man. That's right. So we got to, you know, He's if, going if, you, if you liked him in Star Wars, you wait, till, wait till you see what he has in store <laughs> for City see, Hall. Wait till you see him as a suicidal uh, small town mayor. Absolutely. So, you know, there, there's, there's stuff that they care about and there's stuff that they don't care about. And, and obviously I think that um, it, it is true that they care most about like, is the show good? Like, and then on top of that, in terms of their weighing the, the future of the show, has it penetrated the zeitgeist? And is, is it kind of like, yeah. is it upping the brand, you know, in general is like, are we proud to have this on our air? And I think um, you've talked openly uh, on the pod about like, it was kind of a surprise that they wanted to do a second season, just given you know, uh, like, I think that that was a, that, that was a fair enough statement, um, for, for a number of reasons. And it wasn't like we were, uh, lighting the world on fire ratings wise or showing even like ratings, uh, growth, but they, they, they reached out to me about halfway through season one, you know, while we were still kind of even writing the last three episodes, we want to do more. Wow. Like, um, and at that time I was like, I don't, I don't know if I want to do more. Like, mm. you know, we're, we're, we've just basically come out of the other side of complete and utter chaos. And I'm starting to feel like the show may be starting to work, but I, I can't put that on my plate right now. So let's wait. And then after we finished the finale, um, then I was like, okay, I, I, I actually do want to do more. And they were like, great. But this time around there was no communication. There was like, and it, it was like, there was an intention of we love the show, but let's all just wait and see what happens. Yeah. And, um, and so when I gave, when I did a, a, a lot of press sort of around the, um, the finale time, even some in, you know, in advance of the finale, my original plan was like not to talk at all until the finale had aired. But I was kind of feeling like if I don't talk, that may actually jeopardize the, the future oh, of the I, show. I was wondering about, that. I want, there to be clickbait out there like i want the show to make noise yeah and i don't want to be precious um i think that hopefully i can still not unpack like the you know the the mysteries of the show or the process but at, at the at the same time i kind of feel like i have control over my own destiny so i started saying yes a lot more and yeah as i said to Seppenwall, like 
you know, he interviewed me after he had seen the finale, yeah. which is like maybe four days or five days before it aired. And I was like, I am literally fighting for the life of the show right now. So like H and that wasn't HBO. It wasn't me going and saying like, I'll do anything for this show, but we were in this period of just kind of like not knowing. Um, and, uh, uh, whatever needed to happen for them. Uh, so the finale aired and, uh, um, and, uh, uh, the response, you know, to the season was positive. And then, you know, the critical response and the zeitgeist response was, was positive. And, um, and I think that, you know, Mike Lombardo and, uh, Michael Ellenberg were wanting to pick up the show. And so whatever needed to happen, yeah. happened. And then they called me, um, basically the middle of last week and said, we, we want more, um, you know, we're picking you up. So you didn't and know what that call was. I did. You're, not. you're, you're on vacation or you're away from your office. I was here. in, I was in New York. My mom is, uh, was moving from right. Hackensack to Fort Lee. So you were, you were just, you know, getting in touch with your glamorous Hollywood side. Glamorous moving my mom and like, uh, using it as an excuse to see Hamilton. Yeah. Because if you haven't seen Hamilton, you're worthless. I'm going next month. Have you seen it? I have tickets. Oh, good. Oh, so you're month. not worthless. This almost ended badly. Yeah. And early. If you didn't have, if, oh my if you God. can't produce your Hamilton tickets, yeah. Um, I, I can't really respect anything that you say. Fair enough. But thank God we dodged that bullet. <laughs> I'm going to give you many opportunities to not respect me as we yes. continue. Um, so when your phone rang, you know, and you got this call from them, did you have like the like the butterflies of a, of someone just starting out? I mean, did you you really didn't know which way this call was going to go? Well, uh, you know, it, it, it's a relatively mundane and uninteresting story. But what happened was, I was um, I was in a uh, like a meeting with a family friend about something fairly serious, and I had my phone off. And then I when I turned it back on, I had missed two calls from. Uh, um, Mike Lombardo's office and my, and my agents. And so I was just like the, my brain extrapolated yeah. the, you know, the wishful thinking, um, construct. And so I, uh, I called my agents back first and was like, you know, what's going on. And they're like, uh, HBO wants to, wants to pick up the show. Oh, good. So, so it wasn't at that point though. So they picked it up without you saying it was going to be the last season that came later or had you, pitched something to them that allowed them to make the decision that they did. Well, when I called Mike back, uh, he was like, we want to pick you up. And I said, you know, I'm, this is not just lip service. Like I'm feeling such immense gratitude. And so all I want to say is like, yes, and thank you. And that's the end of the call. But I do want to also say something else, which is sort of in that period, um, in between the finale airing and that call, in addition to just sort of like taking stock on where my life was and what, what we had, what we had achieved as just as writers and producers on the second season of the show. But I have like my, I, what people say about the show is now carefully curated for me. Like, you know, to the degree where it's sort of like, you know, Mr. President, like they're saying such wonderful things about you. <laughs> yeah. Like, cause they're, they're so, there's a lot of stuff out there that makes me want to just crawl into my shell. And, and so like, um, so even, even the really good things that were being said and written about the show and were being sent to me, there seemed to be a, a rising populist sentiment that people were okay with the show being over. There were a couple of stories written to that right. effect. Yeah. And so I was sort of like, how do I, um, uh, uh, sort of, I, I don't disagree with that. Like, yeah. um, and, and truth be told, there's a part of me that's sort of like, 
this you've actually kind of like undone the legacy right now if you walk away right now like there's no risk of being bad ending guy like people are now giving it to you they're saying like you there are still some bad endings but this you have now you have now proven that you are capable of a good ending and that made me feel like well why would i why would i want to do that take the win no no, i can't take the win like now i i have to jeopardize the win or i'm not me like I have to, you know, I have to go back for more. I have to, this is a, this is for, for, for your pal, Chris Ryan. I have to go play for the wizards. Do you understand? Do you get that one? Of course. Oh, good. Okay. So like, you know, now starting for the wizards coach and, and, and uh, power forward, uh, Damon Lindelof, literally playing for the wizards. So, uh, (laughs) but uh, all joking aside, and that's not that, that wasn't joking. That, that was all part of my thinking. The, the other part of it was, if that's the sentiment, we're closer to the ending than we are to the beginning. Right. Um, like, if we now say The Leftovers is just going to continue like any other show continues um, versus, no, let's, let's, let's say that we're going to do one more season because, again, as a consumer of all this stuff, when they did it on the newsroom, yeah. I was kind of like, cool. Like, I, wasn't, I wanted a little more newsroom, you yeah. know? And, and I was able to watch the third season <laughs> with some kind of sense of like, yeah, by the time we got to everybody playing guitar and singing, yeah, we, you know, I we, was like... We differ on this one. Yeah, all right. <laughs> fair enough. But uh, um, uh, fair enough. I was ready for a little more newsroom. And I, I kind of felt like, here's the great thing, you know, um, uh, and I'll just name check Margaret Lyons because I don't want to pretend like I don't know your names when everybody knows that I do. And you guys have your wall and I have mine too. Mm-hmm. Um I'll just say to Margaret Lyons, like, you don't have to watch the third season. Like, and, and like, and maybe, and that's okay. Like, that's mm-hmm. why uh, some people take one Advil instead of two, like, depending on how intense their headache is. So, that's but right. I, but I feel like one more felt like right to me. And there were a couple of compelling story threads, character ideas that I felt like I, we, I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I called Parada, um, uh, right before uh, I called Mike Lombardo back and essentially said, they're going to pick up the show, but I think I'm going to push for, for just one more season. What are your feelings on that? And he was like, that sounds really good to me. He looked in his backyard at the construction of his pool house and he's like, can we do four? Yeah. Can we? He was like, let me just take off my <laughs> monocle yeah. and, uh, and think about this for a moment. Yeah. And then I heard the shuffling of what sounded like stacks of cash. Well, he's got that novel money. Oh my I God. Mean. That big, that big league, that uh, that, that book big free. league yeah. novel money, uh, and so he was down, and then and so in that very call, I said to Mike Lombardo, I I I would love it if we if in the pickup announcement we also said that it was the last season because mm-hmm. if we just pick it up and then like a month from now we say it's the last season, people are going to think something went wrong in the interim. It'll be yeah. like, well, they picked it up, then Lindelof came in and told them what it was going to be, yeah, and then they were like, well, we can't unpick it up, nope. although that happens now. That does happen. It happens not just at HBO, but like the unpickup is mm-hmm. is uh, That's all the, the kids are doing it. So, um, so, and and Mike, to his credit, was like, "Great, um, we'll draft a press release," and they sent it over a couple hours later, and then that, and then that was that. So, wow. well, obviously, we have to talk about the fact that you know, I, I think the the leap from one to two was one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen on TV. Um, it was totally unique and i also have to say i greatly appreciate your generosity towards me considering that you know we're here in this room we can be on i was not a fan yes of the first season you knew that 
uh-huh. and you've still been very nice to me, which I appreciate. That's, I can, I would imagine that's not an, like if someone is, we were joking about this before. If someone is even vaguely critical of me, I probably will hate them. Right. Uh, it is hard to get past that. This is a very personal show. Right. And you seem to be able to um, hear, I hope, I mean, not just in my criticism, but in other people's, you took, you listened to something. Sure. Um, not to, and that is in no way suggesting that we had an important role in what happened in season two. It's just that I was, before we even talk about that transformation, I was very impressed that you were able to keep level-headed about it in a way. Well, first off, like I've heard you say it when I'm driving my car and it's, it's very odd to be sitting across from you right now because, you know, we've never physically inhabited the same space before, but this incredible, very odd intimacy exists, at least in my brain. Sure. The way that like, you know, uh, would, you know, is, is very strange for a stranger, but that, you know, uh, I've been listening to you and, and reading your writing for quite some time and, and, and many of your peers as well. And so it's hard for me to experience you as actual human beings because you are just your writing. And so you first, uh, my first awareness of you, I think you were talking about loss. That's yeah. how you got on my radar. And my, my, my feeling was that you were always very fair. Um, that was like, in addition to, It'll it'll just be completely transparent right now if I say like you're a great writer and I think that you're really well, smart and you love this stuff and you speak about it uh, in 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 an immensely articulate way where you understand the process. Putting all that aside, that's I nice feel and thank you. Putting that aside, I feel like you're fair, like you and Chris are fair. And if critics are fair, I re- I really listen to what they have to say because I'd be an idiot not to. I'm not writing the show for. I, I, for any other reason than I'm, I'm inspired or compelled to write it. I don't write it for myself. I don't write it for the audience. It's just, it's an intangible. That said, I have this amazing resource for free, Yeah. For, which is that my work, people are telling me how to do it better. Yeah. And if they're smart, like they're doing it for free. And so I kind of feel like it's my, you know, it, I'd be a fool to not listen to really smart people saying, here's where you went wrong. Now I, I, I can take issue with them and I can disagree. And although I said this partially um, in jest to Seppenwall, or at least it was presented that way um, uh, when he interviewed me at the beginning of the season, yes, in the writer's room of The Leftovers, we actively would say, we are doing this just to piss off Greenwald. Because at that point, um, it it wasn't like we were trolling you. It was just like... I was of the mindset that there was nothing we could do to get you. And so like, although your approval is deeply meaningful to me in the same way that a child is basically like, F you dad, (laughs) you know, like, uh, like, you know, uh, so we're going to do this. And I will say like, of all the wonderful things that you've said about the show in, in, in second season, the thing that I'm most pleased about is that you did hate the cave woman sequence because totally, because if you did like it, like, then it defeated the purpose in trolling you in the first place. Yes. Like, so I'm sort of like... So you succeeded th- twice. Well, then it would have been kind of like, did I, did I really want, want him to like that? <laughs> no, like it was sort of like, you know, it, and, and, and truth be told, and, and I know that you know Patrick Somerville, it, who, uh, so Patrick and, and, and Nick Hughes are the writers who are, are, are also listen to you, you and Chris religiously and read you guys and we're, we're huge. Am I even allowed to say the name of the previous site? Like, you certainly can. We have Grant to pour Lins. out a little of the, uh, water here, but we... yeah, 
I say Grantland, and people correct me, and I say, no, no, it's it's Grantland. Yeah, you're um, fine. Uh, but like when you correct someone's pronunciation, they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna do with this the, the Spanish prime minister on you. I'm, I'm coining that phrase. <laughs> that's right. It only works today. That's hot off the presses yeah, yeah. today. That that that's that's um, so anyway. Um, so we were openly talking about um, you know what you guys said about the show last year, and we were talking about the cable sequence and and all that stuff. And there were multiple times from like from the conception to the writing to the watching the day da- you can only imagine what watching those dailies was like you know um for the cavewoman sequence oh yeah and you're just like what are we doing i mean mimi uh, uh, did a beautiful i mean she transcended it obviously and this actress that we cast Sarah tomko was unbelievable but still you you watch those when you're watching raw dailies you're yeah. just like what what is this and how is hbo even letting us do this and this was a horrible mistake. And even in the editing room, like multiple, multiple times, yeah. we would invoke your name, which is, well, at least Greenwald will hate it. And you did not disappoint. And so I say, thank you, sir. I'm so honored. <laughs> yeah. First of all, I truly am touched that I, that I was present in the editing room for all of that. But here's what I've been thinking about a lot in the second season, which is my reaction to the first season was visceral. You know, I, I didn't, I didn't uh, think it was so-so. I didn't dislike it. I actively hated some the experience sometimes of watching sure. your show. Uh-huh. And as someone, let's call him, um, for the purposes of hypothetical, let's call him my therapist, uh-huh. has okay. talked often about how you know hatred is really just the flip side of love and anger is as well because it binds you to another person. So clearly there was something that you were playing with that I found deeply unsettling. And I felt almost violated by some of the things in that first season. It was a, you know, it was a messy, uncomfortable world that you were creating right um and so that was you know and that was how i approached the second season i appreciated the opening uh after you told me that it was directed at me um didn't like it but then as the first few episodes went on i mean i I will go back now and i've checked out the the second season premiere again and i all the things that i now have come to really admire about the show are there but as i was watching them to review i I felt this feeling where i didn't know what i felt you know which is not which is, again, that's so relatively unique if your job is to have an opinion about things. I felt so discomforted by it. And that, in and of itself, is a unique thing on television, and that's what kept me watching. Because if you're tapping into that kind of react, that feeling, that's not, that's not normal. That's not a bad show you can ignore. It, it, it's, it's very interesting that you're, um, that you're couching this all in, in, in that specific construct. So let's say that there's an individual who's mm. my therapist. And let's just say that that's a woman. It's a little on so the that, nose. So that we, two, but okay. so that we, yeah. mine is a woman. Uh-huh. So that we can differentiate between our, <laughs> our therapist. This theoretical individual. Let's say that like I've been in an intense amount of, of therapy, and one of my sort of go tos is like, why do people hate me? Yeah. Like it is one thing to just exper- to just be like you have apathy for. It's sort yeah. of like you know this idea. Like what is it about? you know, what I, uh, what I've done that generates like that kind of language, because, you know, again, I've sort of said this before, like, I'm not guilty of any hate crimes. I like, I am not like a misogynist or, or a horrible racist or like, you know, the, the the things that would seem to, I'm a storyteller. Mm -hmm. So like, why are people using that language? Like, I hate you, Lindelof, you, or, or, or vitriolic language, like you do not deserve to write. Like there's this guy yeah. who's been sort of incessantly trolling me for the majority of my career named Devin Faraci. And right. I might be mispronouncing his name and he might like, I, I'm now doing the one thing that you should never do with someone who's actively trolling and identifying troll. him. But like, 
this guy owes me like $40,000 in like therapy yeah. bills. Like I'm, I'm obsessed with winning him over and I never will. Like I never, ever will. But he's like, he's just, he hates me. Yeah. He doesn't hate my writing. And so what my therapist says to me is, well, what are you writing about? Yeah. And then like, and so I, I choose to go into this area of what you just said that where I find comfort, whether it's true or not, but it's this idea of like, I'm writing about something upsetting. Yeah. And by, by the nature of, you know, whether you, whether your brain is telling you, well, I trusted you to give me answers on loss and you didn't give me answers and therefore I hate you. And that's why I hate you. My therapist would say, well, the reason that they really hate you is they wanted the show to give them something that it didn't give them. Yes. And that happens in life. And television shows should give you what you want because life is brutal and yada, yada, yada. But, yeah. that's, but you mentioned podcasts being an intimate relationship, which I think they are. But television is essentially an incredibly intimate relationship, much more so than movies. It comes into our homes. Right. We watch it where in our comfy spaces, in our, yes. in our, in our, in our uh, slankets or whatever, you know, hypothetically <laughs> sure. we wear. Um, and, you know, the, the relationship we have with these stories, like we watch, now it's not like an, like an old house. I, I want to watch my, <laughs> because my, my you stories. Because you use the word slanket? Well, for both. I'm watching my stories in my sponsored slanket. Sponsored by slanket. Are those, <laughs> That's sorry. our presenting yeah, sponsor this week. Um, but, you know, we, we're watching them. We're engaging with them. We want to be moved by them, which means we want to, we, we're serving up parts of ourselves to these shows. We're handing over ownership of our emotional state for a half hour or an hour or two or three years. And that can cloud your judgment after a while because it becomes this personal ownership thing. And, you know, I think I'd like to come back to it even again after this. But, you know, I I adored Lost. And I think I wasn't I certainly wasn't alone in that. And the experience of watching it was so meaningful and all encompassing that there's a sense that the longer it goes on, the more ownership you feel over it. Right. And final seasons of anything are the moment when a show reminds you gently or not gently that you don't own it. Sure. You've been privy to someone else's story right and that can be very jarring especially with that level of, of, of connection that's the thing that drives david chase nuts i would assume that's what he's saying that's to right. his therapist um presumably he would have one i hope um, he, he seems <laughs> he seems to write a lot about it he seems but into it. but that that sort of idea of like you guys go you can keep having the conversation as long as you want but i don't i don't owe you an explanation that's right um and he doesn't um but like well, uh, well but, neither do you yeah well uh, arguable you know, because I think that's another aspect per, p- potentially for um, for uh, through the, the glass half full prism, why I'm a divisive figure and through the glass half empty prism, why I am, you know, reviled by some um, is is the idea of like I'm out there and yes. there he is like at Comic-Con walking out onto the stage like he fucking owns the universe like, oh, God, this bastard like. <laughs> You know, he's interviewing Ridley Scott on location at Ca- Comic-Con, yeah. like, you know, w- versus the, rea- you know, what's what's really happening in my mind in those moments is like, holy shit, don't say anything stupid. How did I get talked into this? Yeah. Why couldn't they get Chris Hardwick to moderate this thing? Because Ridley wouldn't talk to him. Like, so all these things are happening. And I, all I'm feeling is like, I, you know, when this panel is over, I'm going to be sitting in the chair that you're sitting in watching like Joss Whedon basically do a Q&A. So yeah. like we are the same, but I do feel like this idea of I'm out there and I'm talking about this stuff. And certainly with Lost, there was, look, let's just call, let's just call it what it is. This is, this is the clickbait right here on, on, on Twitter, which is Lindelof admits, but it's sort of like there, there was pol- constant politicking required on Carlton and my behalf to basically say like answers are coming, answers are coming, yeah. answers are coming whether independent of whether they were we had to be saying that 
even before there was an end date of the show, just because there was this this thing happening in the media culture where it was being demanded of us. Right. And it simply wasn't viable for us to just remain silent. Like it wasn't like, because our silence would have made people nervous. Right. It's true with that level of investment from, from both audience and network. And it was a very, very big deal on a very, very big stage. But, um, but, but what's so fascinating to me about, um, about lost and, and your careers, you sort of bridge both sides of two eras of television because, um, you know, you and Carlton were, I think, the first public faces of a show, the first showrunners to be public, and you engaged with the public, and everyone loved it until they didn't. And now you've been sort of cast into a situation where, um, you, you know, you you have a public persona and reputation, and people expect that of you and want to speak to you. But then also, you've I think wisely pulled back from it. Right. But you, you but in many ways, it stuck you in a middle ground where you you've done one and not the other. You know what I mean? There's some people who have just never spoken. Sure. And they can just do that. That can be their thing. Yep. But, you know, through the, through Lost, it became an expectation for all showrunners across the board in any kind of show. Right. So you kind of can't split the difference, right? I mean, or, or, or can you? I, that, that, that's what has struck me about the last few years is I felt like you've sometimes been stuck in that middle, middle place where you would like to r- remove yourself from it. But one more thing, just want, you know, you want to add, you, you can't just let all that talk go on without you. Yeah, it's a work in progress. I mean, I am who I am and I am, you know... Uh, uh, I think that there's a human instinct in anyone to, d- to defend oneself, you know, certainly when, when you're attacked. Um, and, uh, but like when, when lost was happening, the sheer magnitude of, of it happening at first was just completely and totally terrifying. And then, you know, Carlton gave me a critical piece of advice that sort of like saved my, you know, my emotional well being in some ways, which is he was like, the show is immensely hard to do and everybody is watching and you just don't, I, I can't explain the sensation of what it is like to be sitting at a restaurant and the table behind you is talking about your show mm-hmm. because every bone in your body is like feeling like this immense pride and then a desire to sort of turn around and Marshall McHugh in them, you know, like, yeah. um, and you know, uh, nothing of my work. Yeah. And well, or, or just to basically say, like, I would like to personally thank you. Yeah. Like, and then they look at you like, you fucking freak. Like, <laughs> why are you eavesdropping on our conversation? Yeah. Um, when that conversation turns from like, oh, my God, are you watching Lost? It's the best show ever into the other conversation that is also happening at a restaurant. And you don't know what that feels like either. Sure. And to sit there silently while like, um, you know, someone who doesn't know you is talking about you personally, you know. With lo- you know, with Lost and the end of Lost, it was hard. It was really, really hard with you know, with Prometheus in particular because I was being um, uh, uh, a certain level of authorship was being ascribed to me. Yeah, that was like infuriating. Well, um, that's also the thing about um, we were talking before we started recording. In TV, there is an assumed authorship now. Right. Movies is the opposite of that. Right. No one knows who does what, and it's totally opaque to everyone on the outside. Right. So if your name is the name people recognize on the poster, uh, you're going to get you're right. going to get what's coming at you. And we all know, like you know, the Lindelof brand is just much bigger than the Ridley Scott brand. Okay, I the mean, second like, biggest name on the poster. <laughs> no, and you know, and not to mention John Spates, who you know, I was very very careful to give a very accurate presentation of exactly how everything happened yep. from the moment that it happened, from the the moment that I came onto it, and you can read all of 
you can read all the material that's out there on the internet. Yeah. So there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of John in that movie and like, but there seems to be a general naivete about the way that movies get made and written. So mm -hmm. like out of one side of your mouth, you say, why is like every big Hollywood blockbuster have nine writers on it? But in this case, we're going to, we're going to assign authorship, yep. um, which doesn't seem necessarily fair. Now, if, if Christopher Nolan, if it's a Christopher Nolan movie, it's authorship through and through, right? Yep. Like, but um, you know, you don't blame David Goyer for the parts you don't like. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I mean, the, here's the thing about um, about Lost for me is that when I was talking about bridging two eras, the first two and a half years you're making a network show on a scale that you know really hasn't been done. But you're making a network show and that you're serving story, more story, more story. You don't know when it's going to end. You don't know what it's going to be. And then you get permission to do it another way. You get permission to have shorter seasons and have an end date and tell a different story. Right. And to my mind, you know, I, I it's one of my all time favorite shows. I love I love it. I think about it. I miss it a lot. Um, you know, I've been public that I don't love the finale. Mm -hmm. I love that you made the finale. Okay. It means so much to me that this show that I was invested in, the people who who co-created it and ran it, uh, were allowed to finish their story. You know, that that was that's pretty unique. And certainly in network, right? I mean, you 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 landed the plane, which is a I realize now a terribly uh, <laughs> apt metaphor. Right. Um, but that is remarkable, and the fact I mean, it, it becomes a question of what you value in TV, and nothing that happened on that. I mean, that's the other thing. People often look at endings as the end all be all, and they say, "Well, that invalidates everything I did." Oh my God, how could you think that? How much fun did we just have? Right, and we're going to miss this every season of, t of television season going forward. You know, it's it's a unique thing to have been in the hands of people and then we were able to see where, where you were taking us. Right. Um, that journey is worth it, I think. But I think that is maybe, that's a level of, that requires a level of distance or you take a moment to consider that. I think people in the moment are like, well, it didn't do what I wanted it to do. Sure. And, and that's it. you know, and I appreciate you saying that because certainly at the time that we negotiated the end date, that, that was like one of um, the most sort of harrowing pieces of business that I've ever been yeah. um, a part of. And again, I, I, you know, I want to, um, you know, in the, in the Fargo tradition, this is a, a true story and I want to, um, you know, uh, protect the names of the correct, the dead and the, and the dead. living. And the... Um, but uh, um, that was not easy because just to, even though in the halfway through the beginning of, of season three of lost, which was definitely um, the, the creative low point on every single level of, at least through through my own lens, um, the show was still doing monster ratings. Yeah, and um, and so the idea of going to ABC and saying we want to announce an end date right now, it, the, it, and even even in my even my agents were like that is that is an unreason that's a non-starter that yeah. is an unreasonable ask. It's not going to happen. Um, I feel like even some people listening, we, I think, don't appreciate the sea change. And we won. Like, I mean, we, you know, Carlton and I, you know, waged a waged a battle and like blood was drawn and we won. And I don't ex expect accolades for that. But, you know, I will say that, um, you know, the, the breaking point in the negotiation was it started with we're never going to end the show and we're going to just hire somebody else to run it and it will continue without without you. Mm -hmm. And we're going to. We're going to call your bluff because we can't imagine that you'll be able to live in a world where you actually walk away from loss because we wouldn't let to end it. And we were like, okay, I guess we're gone. Mm -hmm. Like, and then, mm -hmm. then they came back and said, okay, we will end the show after nine seasons. That was their opening salvo, Ooh. you know, 
So the fact that we got them down to six yeah. and that the, the, final, the remaining three seasons, you know, two episodes, you know, shifted, beca- uh, three episodes shifted because of the writer strike, but we did 14 in season four and yeah. 18 and 18. But, um, you know, uh, like the, the fact that we got any ending at all, like I, I bled for that. So it shouldn't be like, my attitude though, isn't you should be grateful that you got an ending. Yeah. But at the same time, I kind of felt like if ever there was a show that needs to tell the people who have come this far that it is that that it is going to end, period. Like, yeah. just it's not the never ending story, you know, like um, like uh, I'm, 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 I'm struggling for an Atreyu uh, <laughs> reference, but um, uh, like the luck dragon was not with us on that day. Yeah. And so I felt like it was triumphant that we were that it, it would create a tremendous amount of relief for people. I think. You know, now when you watch a television show, no matter what it is, including The Leftovers, people watch television assuming there's an ending. And that in and of itself is fairly revolutionary for television as a medium. And you guys were sort of at the forefront of that. Um, the sense that, that, that the TV is an investment that has to be repaid, um, you know, to, to our satisfaction or else the whole thing becomes invalidated, I think is a very dangerous way to, to approach anything. Right. It's also, you know, there's a, there's a certain level of risk investing in any storytelling, particularly in television, when you don't know how thick the book is. But there's something very exciting about not knowing how thick the book is. So, like, imagine, for example, that um, Howard Gordon and Alex Gansa basically announced midway through yeah. Homeland's first season, we're not, there might not be a second season of Homeland. That's what if right. they just said that? Then you watch the Homeland finale through the prism of, they are going to kill Brody. Yeah. Like, they could, but because it hadn't been announced that way and because the show was garnering all this buzz, there was a part of us that knew that they weren't or they couldn't. They couldn't. They, they tried and then Showtime wouldn't let them. Like, um, and again, this isn't me telling tales and I think like hindsight is twenty twenty and all that stuff, but I completely understand the decision in the way that it was made. But like, and I've heard you guys talk about this, but what if Homeland was just those, you know, like is, is the honorable, does there need to be any more honorable wife? There does not. Like. Nope. Uh, honorable woman. Sorry, um, uh, I'm mixing it up with the good wife. But it's sort of like it's comp- you. You knew exactly how long the book was when you opened it up. Now the flip side of that is, um, if you're looking at something like Lost, before you knew that you were going to be able to end it, when you were working on the pilot and you were working on the first season and it was becoming a phenomenon, you didn't have Penny and Desmond. They were not on your horizon. I don't know if you had Four Toad Statue written in your notes. No. You know, there are examples of this is one of the beautiful things about about the chaos of TV is that, you know, these happy accidents, these sudden leaps of imagination, this random casting that turns into an essential star and tapping into that, I imagine, is must be terrifying at times, but also kind of exhilarating. You're you're working with that net. It it was exhilarating, but I will say that and I've talked about this ad nauseum, so I'm going to try to find a a more interesting way to, to to say it now, which is that almost out of the gate, like from the first, from even, I think as, as, as early as the pilot, the, the, the primary question being presented by both the media and fans alike was, are you making it up as you go along? Oh, and this I... was said with the arms akimbo. Mm-hmm. And so the answer had to be no at all times because you couldn't say like, guys, let's just be pragmatic about this. I met JJ the last week of January. Yeah. It is now May in that, you know, in that 13 week interval, we shot and edited a two hour movie 
And no, we did not have the opportunity to sit down and basically break out the entire series of Lost. Which could have been two or nine you know, seasons. The answer was, of course, we're not making it up as we go along. We completely and totally have a plan. And I think born of that lie, that forced lie, you know, is like tell the people what they want to hear. Mm -hmm. Like, guess what, America? You are safe. You yeah. know, that, that, that is a lie we need to hear. Um, and, and when it gets shattered, like what, you get mad at the people who told it to you, but you wanted them to tell you. Like, yeah. I don't turn to my son yesterday morning and say they closed right. your school because there was a water main break. No, they closed your school because some freak, you know, uh, sent a letter um, saying that there were bombs and backpacks and the and yeah. LAUSD and now 650,000 kids are home today yeah. because that's the world that you're living in. That's not what I said to my son. And if, you know, like you, you have to basically mitigate the damage and, and create an create an era, you know, an air of. But bec because we were forced to talk about the show and I won't I take full responsibility for everything that I said. But it's like, you know, people want you to you give the answer that people want you to give. Because yeah. when I would try to even feel out the honest answer, where it's like. Well, it's an organic. What do you mean organic? What do you yeah. mean it's an organic process? You know who the monster is, right? Where's the, you know where the the polar bear? Well, yes, we do know where the polar bears come from, but we don't know when and how we're going to reveal that. This is, you know, you know, you know. I, I was hope, you know, I was going to bring it back to leftovers, no matter what. But there's a, a looping way to get back there, which is the thing about the leftovers that I, I think I even appreciated in season one, but I certainly appreciated in season two is that it does it is not safe. The storytelling is not safe, and I think that. You know, despite the enormous breakthroughs of television in the last 15 years and some shows that, that I absolutely adore, a lot of it has been pushing the medium that we've come to know for so many years to the edges of, of quality. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I, you know, Chris and I talk about this a lot, how Mad Men, for all its like literary trappings, there was often an office comedy in it. You know, there sure. was very standard TV relationships, but they right. were played in a much different way, in a way we'd never seen before. The exciting thing for me about this year, and I don't know if this is for everyone, or this is maybe someone who just watches too much TV, but the shows that I love the most this year, uh, and I would include your show in this this year, and, 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 you know, and Fargo and Mr. Robot, and Transparent, certainly, they, they throw out the rule book entirely. I, right. I, I don't feel at ease. I don't feel at ease in this medium that is essentially often a comfort medium. Um, and I guess that's been the great breakthrough that we... It, it, is that the breakthrough that is born of the shorter seasons and the more control that you have as a creator? Or is that just you, let's use you state, let's just keep it with you in this case. Is that just where you are now as a creator and that you are um, more comfortable expressing that level of chaos in the work? Yeah, I, I, I think that's a part of it. And, and I also feel like uh, I, I've become um, much more comfortable with risk. Like I can still acknowledge that it is risk and it's I'm not like footloose and fancy free. I still want people to really connect to my work and um and to like it and that is important to me but one of the you know the the question that rose up you know most prevalently in the press that i was doing surrounding the finale of the leftovers was like, were you nervous about international assassin like you know were you nervous about uh, about that and and so i try to unpack that question and, and and it's just a different iteration of the question that you just asked which is like um like you had to realize there was a tremendous amount of risk in doing an episode like, like, like that one. And the truth be told is it's not that I don't give a shit, but it's just like, I've seen it all, man. Like there's yeah. nothing you can say to me now. Like <laughs> that, like that, that, that hasn't been said, like there's nothing. And so if I basically 
say the worst case scenario of international assassin, the worst case scenario is, you know what, Damon, I, you almost fooled me again. Seven episodes into the second season, I started to actually trust th- that you knew what you were doing again, yeah. and then you just blew it again. So that's the worst case scenario. And my takeaway from that is like, you know what? I'm sorry you feel that way. I think this episode's rad. You know, like we all got super stoked about it in the writer's room. And this was not the first idea. We got it. You asked Somerville, like, and Nick Hughes and, and Speezy Alley and Parada. Like if I could, if I, if I could get Parada on board with International Assassin yeah. and he's pitching, you know, he's pitching ideas in that episode, like, um, like we're on to something. And so if you don't like it, I'm sorry you don't like it, but this is the kind of storytelling that I want to do. And if HBO is, um, is going to be benevolent enough to let me do an hour of the leftovers, basically, you know, set in the Hyatt in um, in Austin, Texas, and we're using um, uh, parallax view language. Um, yeah. Then, like, who are you to scare me off that yeah. uh, that bridge? Like, and and so th- that's the short answer to your question, which is, I think, like, you think Louis C.K. is scared of like doing the things that he does on that show. Mm-hmm. And I watch it and st- even as a fan of Louie, I basically go like, I can't believe he's having this conversation with this woman, mm-hmm. you know, this plus size woman. And he wrote this for her, you know, like th- I feel like really uncomfortable right now. Yes. And like he's being a, you know, like he's like, I'm, I feel like I'm really getting him right now. Uh-huh. Like, Oh my God. Like he had to think that, when we saw this, that we would judge him unfavorably and like, but we all watch it and go like, thank you for the honesty, you yeah. know? And like, ultimately, or thank you for your honesty, well, you know, in, in that case, like, thank you for Louis's honesty. Not, that's it's not, right. It's not a universal point of view. He's being personally honest. With right. Something in that, in that, even that we're not quite used to or comfortable with. That's exactly right. And so just, you know, be as authentic as you can. And I think that I, I was in an apology mode for a really long time, you know, like, yeah. uh, and because I felt like when people say roughly translated, you hurt me, you know, when people say I'm mad at you Yeah. for someone who's a people pleaser. Like I am, your instinct is to apologize and just, um, this is what this, this is like a litany constantly with kids. And, you know, we do this to you you start yelling at your kid. You know, you basically like, like what? You, why'd you do that? And they go, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. And you go, don't just say you're sorry. Mm-hmm. You know, like I really want you to understand that, you know, that pushing another kid down or hurting someone's feelings is like a real deal. Mm-hmm. Don't just apologize. And I think I was just apologizing automatically without really sort of trying to process like, what is it exactly I'm apologizing for? Yeah. That I made a storytelling mistake yeah. um, in, you know, in, 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 in season five of Lost. Like I didn't do Lapidus justice. That's what I'm apologizing for, you know, and I started to kind of like started to get angry and like I watched Carlton handle it with such grace. And, you know, I I went off on like, you know, on some kind of jag about, you know, how sorry I felt about hurting people on the last finale. And Carlton uh, um, sent me an email and he was like, I just want to remind you of a couple of things. You can take them or leave them. Mm. Thing number one is that. The show was nominated for a drama Emmy in its first season, not for its second and third, but for its fourth, fifth, and sixth. Yeah. You know, in, in a highly competitive environment. And on top of that, we were nominated for writing the finale. Five scripts were selected that year. 
um, it was like us and three episodes of Mad Men and, <laughs> you know, maybe, uh, I don't know if Breaking Bad was eligible that year or whatever. So your peers and the people just do not nominate finales because it, they're doing you a solid. Yeah. So I'm just telling you, there are people out there who think that we did pretty well. But it's so and, hard to hear those, and you, those yeah, voices. And you, I, I'm just reminding you that they're there too and you have nothing to apologize for. So my wife also, um, God love her. Um, seriously, I, uh, I couldn't do this. I'm, you know, uh, it, it goes so far and beyond. She's the, she's the woman behind the man. She is literally like, I, I could not and would not want to do this without her. It was killing her to see me out there, you know, locking my, you know, locking myself in the repent stocks, yeah. you know, with my dong well, hanging out. But there's something that's very, there's something if very, you don't watch the leftovers, say, we if you don't watch the leftovers, reference. that, that is a reference to episode five Thanks. of season two. I really appreciate you doing that. Yeah. Um, there's something essential to writing, which is taking part of yourself, inner self, and putting it out into the world, like putting it out into the page or putting it out into the screen. That is essentially where a lot of good writing comes from. What was, what's been amazing to me to watch you navigate is how much of that to keep for yourself and how to stop putting that out there for other people to comment on. Do you know what I mean? You, it's an essential sharing. That is what you do for your, for, for a living. And then to see you post the lost finale, like in the first season of leftover struggling with that was, I mean, we never met, but I thought that was, I felt a lot of empathy for you for that because this is what you do professionally. And then it was seemed to be also part of your personal life in a way that didn't seem to be helpful. You know, right. it didn't. And, and I say this as someone who absolutely will always apologize for almost anything. I mean, sure. that is my default setting. I want to please. I want things to be neat. I want things to be non well, Jewish. Well, exactly. I was yeah. going <laughs> to, no, I mean, I'm not even joking. Yeah. Like, that... That's, that's built, you know, when you basically, you know, not to get off on that jag, but the idea of like when your identity is built around the idea of you are one generation removed from people trying to exterminate you as a, you know, yeah. as a people, and that's like every every satyr is like this is the story of Egypt, but just so we're clear, everybody wants to kill you. Yeah, like um, that's a very interesting psyche to have. Yeah, um, and I, and hard to um, it's you know David Chase is um, is, is not a Jew. Nope, <laughs> um, and. Uh, uh, I, I I think that's a part of it. So um, I don't even know how I how I got onto that. No, but just your bill, you you know, navigating that in right. your professional life, the parts of you know the parts that are where you're required to share parts of yourself, and then the parts where maybe you needed to pull back on that. Well, the self deprecating, you know, one of the you know one of the part that when I unpack the origin story of that of the Lindelof persona and just referring you know referring to myself in the third person let alone as 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 the Lindelof persona but I know exactly the moment in which it was born which is um and again filter this through the spectrum of I'm telling an anecdote and I'm a storyteller but this is the way that I remember yeah. which is so the lost finale happened and I went off to Italy uh for a month and just sort of like decompressed and um and of course like monitored social media like religiously like and and sought out mm -hmm. all the negativity and yeah, there's that weird desire to like bathe yeah. in it I, and so I, I was basically I like I was really you know in a in a you know in a bad uh complicated place and then the TCA the the Television Critics Association they awarded lost I think we tr we tied with Breaking Bad or something like that, but we were like either like Program of the Year or, or Drama of the Year yeah. at their TCA awards, which is like this really fun kind of like non-televised, like it's just a great event. And like I've developed relationships with like, uh, uh, 
I don't pander to critics because I want them to review my stuff. The only critics I respect are actually the ones who shit on me, but who, who, who are fair. Like Seppenwall, yeah. our entire relationship was born out of, you know, he, he came after me in that really in that season three period. I mean, I knew yeah. him before that, but then like, I was like, I like this guy. Yeah. Like, the fans and, he's, were and he's Jersey, but, um, and he's brilliant. Like, so anyway, uh, so I, so in my acceptance speech at the TCA awards, Carlton was out of town. Um, and it was like the end of the summer now. That's when they all get together. I, I gave my acceptance speech. And in my acceptance speech, I read actual tweets about the finale. Yeah. Just, and it killed. Like, and I looked down into the audience and Tom Hanks was there. Yeah. At the, at, like he was there for like John Adams or something. Yeah. And he was laughing so hard. <laughs> and I was basically like, I'm going to just do this. Yeah. I'm going to be I'm going to be like Don Rickles on myself. Yeah. This is killing like, you know, me saying mean things about me is giving me like I was confused dopamine and epinephrine, but I'm getting those hits. Yeah. You know, those those it's feeling good. This is like amazing. Like the the rush that I felt like, you know, that I was getting these huge laughs Um, when in when in truth, like. Like I was like, you know, sharing this really intense pain, but couching it as like a comedy act, which in retrospect is where you realize like, oh, like, okay, Robin Williams, I get it now. Like the, yeah. the, the, the best comedy comes from this like incredible place of self-hatred yeah. and people were finally validating all these things that I'd been telling myself over the years. The emperor has no clothes. They're going to find you out. You're a fraud, Lindelof. You don't deserve this. Then when people started to say those things, it felt good because I didn't feel crazy. It matched what you had inside. I was like, right. Yes. Thank you for noticing. The emperor has no clothes. I've been trying to tell you this for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And then by the time you you feel the damage that that does, it's a little bit too late. That that genie, that sad genie is out of the bottle. (laughs) I, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I think that I'm going to write a show called That Sad Genie. That Sad Genie. And he did. Good. He, he, uh, he's like, are you sure you want me to grant that wish? <laughs> you really, you want to game that out a little bit there, pal? I can do that for you. Um, but in, so let's go from that moment though to, you know, you, you've spoken about being unhappy, potentially even being depressed during the first, the, the beginnings of the leftovers in season one. What I'm most curious about and honestly quite inspired by is how you got the exhilaration back and the fun back for season two of the leftovers because season two of the leftovers is a very challenging show It is a very emotional show there were parts that were hard to watch it still deals with all these you know these things that are, are not these are not tv emotions uh you know grief paralysis right um fury pain these are not easy things to express but you mentioned international assassin here's why i love that episode because holy shit, look what, monkeys. look what you're doing. Yeah. Look what look how far out they are on that ledge and they're and they're singing and dancing and they're laughing. And that episode had an emotional gut punch, but it also had you know the kind of laughter where you're the kind of laughter you do on roller coasters where you you're scared and you don't know what's going on and so the sound that comes out of you is a little bit crazy. Right. How did you get back in touch with that feeling? Because you know that was what I I think I, I I wanted in season one because even just to leaven the uh, the bread the bread a little <laughs> bit uh, yeah um, Se- season one was matzah season one was matzah yeah, and then you had a delicious like, challah yeah yeah um, yeah challah that's that um, uh, 
I think there's an there's a number of ways of looking at it. The first is like, you know, you dial into what you dial into and all the stuff that we're talking about right now in terms of I was in I was I was in a I was in a hardcore emotional hole as a result of the end of loss and I was like, here's here's what I need to do. I need to go I need to go work with Ridley on Prometheus. That's going to get me out of this. Yeah. And that 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 went fantastic. You know, in terms of it was the grit, it was, it was like I was living the dream and I was really happy the yeah. entire time I was working on Prometheus and working alongside Ridley was unbelievable. But then I realized that all the things that were now being stuck on me and not just stuck on me, but as I said before, that I was now inviting, yeah. you know, um, I think in, in many ways, um, you know, adversely affected that movie. Um, in terms of my abilities to do my job well on it and um, and a number of other things and so and and uh, and and so that happened and then I was looking to do like to just find any way out of it and I was like oh uh, you know Tomorrowland like I'll go do a Disney movie because like you know if you're writing something happy you'll be happy yeah um, and and then I read The Leftovers and I when I read Tom's book, I started weeping, and I was like, "There, uh, there's, there's, there's something really big here. I don't quite know how to identify it, but this book is basically about living in a world where you do not get answers, and um, and people are in pain, and uh, like it's speaking to me, man, and I have to be a part of this. Yeah, and I locked in on the pain." And so season one was all about the pain. And then, and then I met with Pete Berg, who was basically like in our first meeting, you know what, when I, when I read, you know, when I read your script, when I read yours and Tom's script, I just kept thinking about Newtown. Let's go to Newtown. Yeah. So it's like, so that was, that was the emotional frequency at which I was receiving the show. And therefore that was the emotional frequency at which I, I was broadcasting. So even the writers on the show, if they pitched something that was like funny, or like out there, I would do everything I could to, because Parada is a funny guy. Like yeah. he's a funny guy on the page and he's a funny guy in life. And like, I just rejected it. Like hmm. the culture of the show in season one was like, you know, it, it, any opportunity for like levity, I would just like, I'd be like, nah, that, that there is no room for, these people are in pain. Yeah. Like without acknowledging that the Irish wake aspect of pain, right? right. Which is, exactly. you know, there's a, there's a, you know, look at it. That, that movie that keeps getting made, I feel like, you know, uh, like where it's, uh, you know, dad has just died yep. and the, and all the kids come back yep. and um, they hoist and, a couple and they, and they hoist a couple and they, and they, and they, they, they go and they, and they get in trouble and they smoke joints and they, they get sneak drunk into their and, old high school. And, yeah. Yeah. All that stuff. Um, like uh, there, there is fun there too. There's, you know, there's um, it, it's the big chill, right? Like, I mean, unpack that movie um and it's all about pain and grief and and service but there's these in- incredible moments of of levity and fun yeah um and so i was working through all that stuff and the process of of birthing a first season show is just you know is just brutal on every level and um like there were just some mimi hadn't come in yet mimi came in around season, uh, episode five mm-hmm. which is the gladys episode and like like okay let's start with the stoning but she just like she just understood the show and she completely and totally dialed in and she started taking authorship herself of Mm -hmm. the show and i started we started getting dailies that were amazing and like and the and the writers i mean you and i were talking about this briefly uh earlier but and i you're so again you're supposed to say this but the writers on the show and and they were great in season one and 
um, and um, uh, this isn't to say anything. Uh, they, they tried their darndest, but like they couldn't get those comedy bills through mm -hmm. Congress. But things just started, or like the ideas, like from other people, just started. I started connecting to because I realized like the less I hold this show, it's not just mine. It's it was obviously Tom's first. He's sharing yeah. with me, but the more I open it up, opening back up to Parada and letting him infuse, you know, himself back into the show. Um, and making a couple of key hires between uh, seasons and and um, and also like starting to feel like with episode six of uh, 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 of season one that we 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 touched it, you know, we touched that thing of what the show could be. Yeah. And like there were moments of levity and guest and, you know, yes. and and like and watching Carrie do what she did and transcending the material. So it's like we can still have the pain. We can still do the hug with Holy Wayne. But there's there's a there's a much wider bandwidth that the show can support than I originally thought. Yeah. And then, as you guys have talked about, and I think that was a very um, um, uh, purposeful direction for us as we came into the writers' room between seasons, which was like let's narrow the focus, like yeah. let's be with one character at a time. And it's tough because you know when you're playing with Han, like, and it's like all you're doing is playing with Han and like, there's like, you know, Boba Fett and you're like, Boba Fett so awesome. Like let's get him into this scenario yeah. too. Maybe Boba Fett doesn't, doesn't work in this, this scenario. So like being very, um, say like, let's not, let's not think about all the people we're not servicing. Cause at any given time you can say like, we really did Jill Garvey a disservice this season. Not yeah. enough Jill Garvey, not enough of her, her relationship with Michael, which we really wanted to develop yeah, more. You know, we wanted to do more with John and Kevin so that we, so that their ultimate payoff in the finale felt even richer, but yeah. you just can't. So it's like, we're, we're, nope, we're, we're dealing with Matt this episode. And if we can find a couple of mo moments for the other characters to move them down the field and so be it, but let's just be in this. Mm -hmm. Like we started to understand, you know, uh, what what we could do and and where we felt comfortable and yeah it's it was a grind again this year but the process was much much more fun. Tom Speziali came on and he's a pro like he really helped you know keep me away from sort of my darker instincts and you know when I'm like when I would start to lose it in the room in terms of something wasn't just breaking he'd be the guy who's like he brought in a ping pong table and we'd play a couple of games the right you know very competitive yeah. all of us playing ping pong uh, against one another. And then, you know, uh, things just kind of started uh, gelling. And the actors, I think, had, had a, um, like, uh, took real ownership of their characters. And I just started, I was able to listen to the show tell me what it wanted to be. Well, that's, what sh that's also the beauty of television is that it, it does that. You know, when you write it, these things in a vacuum, and then these characters that you're writing become embodied by humans and the humans the actors uh bring something to some there is good. one i will tell i won't tell you who but, but there is with there is one character on the leftover is not portrayed by a human that's pretty amazing i don't want to tell you who it i'm is. gonna guess it's kevin's dog but i'm not gonna <laughs> i'm assuming no i mean no someone who appears to be human but oh, is not human this is, is in fact synthetic it's good easter eggs for season yeah, three right. um they grow and evolve and they tell you what kind of show they are and you learn what's possible and but you know that even that is such a delicate thing because you're you know now you're only making 10 of them a year and you want to be you have to be in control of it to a certain degree but then you also have to let it be right and that is a balance that is hard in any any professional field let alone one as high stakes as this yeah and um and then um w never be in a position where you pat yourself on the back or or do the heroic fist pump because 
just when you think that you figured out the show, the show changes. I mean, the right. show is like a, a child and it's sort of, uh, in many ways and it grows and it matures and it becomes sentient. And then, so yeah, a cyborg child, but, um, I'm, I'm stuck on that idea now, but it, but it is cause like now it would be, you know, the biggest mistake that I could possibly make moving into season three is saying like, all right, what, you know, what's the, you know, what, what, what's the season three opening version of the cave woman? Like how do yeah. we completely and totally do, do that well, again? You have like, to find someone else to piss off now. Yeah. I'm oh off the God. board. No, I'm still, I still want to piss. You oh, off. good. Get me back off the show. And then I we can redo this. I, 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 this is my promise to you. Okay. You will hate the first five minutes of season three of the left. I love it. I can't like, wait. I, no idea makes it makes it out of the room <laughs> that we feel like you would like. <laughs> That's a wonderful position to be in. I feel like I, I'm ready to take on that challenge. Yes. I'm ready to. I've I've been too nice for too long. I'm ready to hate. Um, you know the the thing. Yeah, the the thing that was was so affecting to me this year. Well, actually, let me let me come back to that. Um, I, I, a lot of the things that impressed me about the year seemed. So, like, like it, on a very technical TV level, I wondered how much, it, how much of it is thought of in a technical TV level, meaning this. You know, the first season was so reactive. These people were enduring something that had happened. Second season, they are active. They are move, literally moving to a new place. Right. They are exploring the roots of a mystery. Yeah. Uh, the first season, you have characters who, you know, you're not only not telling people answers, you have people that won't even talk. This year, when we see Liv Tyler, she basically says, enough of that start talking right it is very active in that yes. way um when you are approaching something that is not you know I, I don't not that things were broken but there are things you want to address how much of it is is like getting under the hood and really saying well this wire is misconnected let's just reconnect it is that i mean that's not the most poetic way to think about something like writing but that is part of television it's it's not just part of television it's part of storytelling and i think right. that we you know uh, we we forgot you know, sort of like one of the most fundamental um, rules of writing anything, which is have your characters want something, even if they don't know that they want it. Right. But if you, if they do know, then have them articulate it and then make them go get it. And th if you just think about season one, just as you just said, they weren't artic articulating any of those things. So Kevin is just basically kind of like wandering around and in angry, a stupor, yeah. and yeah. he's angry at the guilty remnant. He articulates in the in the pilot, I don't, I don't, I don't think that we should have Heroes Day, but that's a that's a reverse want. He's just basically like he's pissing yeah. over somebody else's want. Yeah. And season, so it's like basically like what does Nora want? What does Kevin want? And so it's not just it, it starts in a very um, kind of nebulous, obtuse way, which is they they want to start over. Yeah. Okay. Like, what's the most radical story version of that? If you want to start over, you don't just like clap your hands on January 1st and say, we're starting over. Yeah. You do something. So he's going to turn to Nora and he's going to say, let's get out of here. Um, and then they're going to move to this place that, that is presumably safe. Then once they get there, then what does he want? Now yeah. he wants to get rid of Patty. Yeah. And so like you, you, you just, we constantly like ask those questions and it, it, it helped give the story design a lot more specificity. And maybe it's why characters like Jill were much harder to write in the second season because I still didn't entirely dial into what she wanted. Right. She was more like what she wanted was to make sure that Kevin and Nora didn't detonate. And so she served almost like kind of like a Jiminy Cricket um, uh, a character. Yeah. A Jiminy Cricket dead in a box um, wrapped by go. Evie Murphy. Like, but sort of like, minus her intention because we didn't want Jill to be Dana, you know, like 
we wanted to avoid the the, the mopey teen trap. Yeah. You know, uh, like which is so hard to do on TV because again, yeah. like I'm you know I'm 42 years old. I'm a male. The character that I identify least with on the show is a, a 17 year old female in yeah. terms of like what she is going through and what her intention is. So, um, you know, again, uh, a grand disservice to that character, but like when you can figure out what, that's why Matt's episode in season one, episode three, someone's trying to buy, someone's trying to buy your church. Yeah. Uh, aside from the fact that there was narrow point of view, you just knew what he wanted. Yep. And then he's behaving, it's he's clean. acting in a way to yeah. get it. Yeah. Um, same with Nora, her bat. If it was just Nora Durst goes to a conference in New York, that's not an episode. It's Nora Durst goes to a conference in New York and someone stole her badge. Yeah. You know, now she's going to find that person. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's so obvious, but we, we, we got lost in the weeds. I, um, I've, I've written this and I've, I've said it and I imagine after we've spoken now, I realize you probably heard me say it, but since I have you here, I wanted to get your thoughts on it directly. A theory I have. As opposed to just shouting at you in my car. Like exactly. A ma- like a mad man. Oh, good. Well, feel free to shout. Yeah. Um, I, I've expressed this theory, so you know it then, that basically one of the things that moved me so much about this season was this, I, I've gotten the sense that you in your writing can tend towards, um, not conclusions, but you, you write elegantly and neatly. And for example, um, in episode one, Getting the Garveys to Texas, or is maybe that's in sorry, it's in episode two. It's in the beginning of episode but two. They are we see them arrive right. in episode so one, but we see them have the go. conversation. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. That is like one of the most beautiful um, economic scenes I've ever seen. You basically say, "What are we doing? Why are we doing it? Here's a secret. Here's a secret. Boom!" And this is and it's elegant. It's it's thrilling because I like TV writing. I'm like, my God, look what he just did in 100 seconds. So much of the second season of the show has to. Go take you to the edge of uncertainty and stay there, and that's in a very un- and you know uh, from a from a Jewish American East Coast <laughs> perspective, staying in that uncertain place is hard for mm-hmm. me. Yes, and it's also hard in my writing, and not necessarily even creative writing. If I'm writing a, a, a critical piece or a you know an essay or something, I catch myself getting too cute. I want to you know tie the edges off. I want to I want to uh, tie the knot. Right. Leaving, but I find my best work is the work that just sort of hangs there and leaves you in an emotional place as opposed to some bit of cleverness. Sure. Um, I was watching the season as sort of a meta narrative on your comfort with letting the mystery be. Obviously, right. you put it right in the title. And, and am I completely, would your hypothetical shrink agree with what I'm saying? Am I totally off the mark? No, you're, you know, it's right on. I mean, I, I think that um, finding, finding a balance of self-awareness in your own life in terms of like, this is who I am and this is what I like. And hopefully people will continue to pay me to do it so that I can make a living at it. But even if they didn't, I'd still be doing it. Like, so just come to terms with that as opposed to what I was doing, which is like, there's something wrong with me. I need to change this up. Like I need to, you know, I need to stop throwing the screwball, like, because it, you know, there, it's not a pitch that's working for me anymore, but why do, why is that my favorite pitch to throw? Right. And, and then, and then also uh, on on the level of the show, basically being unapologetic for itself, I think that the first season lacked a, a degree of self awareness. So that when you use Max Richter's music in season one, it just felt like, oh, t- yeah, they're sad. I get it. <laughs> when you use it in season two, there's a balance between that and the other music that we were using. Yeah, you know, in terms of saying like, there's not only this 
we're moving between these poles and we're, we're expressing characters um, who probably can't let the mystery be. I mean, like that's the, you know, that, uh, and, and also hearing Iris Demand's performance of that song. And that wasn't by the way, the go-to um, uh, song for, for, for quite some time, the operating title, we always were going to change the title sequence, mm -hmm. but we were going to use um, Otis Redding's cover of nobody's fault, but mine, mm. you know, and it had the same, it had like this propulsive kind of energy and I was like, and I love the lyrics because this is the show all the characters think are so narcissistic. They're yeah. so narcy that they, that they think that the departure is their fault. They all do. And I can identify with that, right? <laughs> I, I, I'm speaking that language. And so, but when we started putting it to the image system that Angus uh, cooked up for the, for, for the new opening title, that song didn't work anymore. And then the Iris Dement, which this guy, Patrick Markey had turned me on to when I was down in Austin, he just sent me like a YouTube video and I saw her performing it. And yeah. there's like a guy with like a stand up bass and yeah. she's kind of smiling and her smile, my read on Iris DeMent's smile was go fuck yourself. Like, you know, like playfully. And I was like, that's the tone of the show. The yeah. tone of the show. Here's more clickbait for you. People is go fuck yourself playfully. Enjoy it. Cause guess what? Fucking yourself's awesome. Yeah. I, in college I did it <laughs> twice a day. So, but like, like, you know, and I think that the audience actually respected that we were that we were kind of saying like, here's what we are. Go fuck yourself. Like and fuck us too while we're at it. Like you know, I'm, re I'm, I'm really embracing the new the new policy, the new, the new cursing you know, policy, the lack of the Disney Corporation owning your podcast. But there was also this sense that was so prevalent in season two that I really responded to, which is the show is asking a question. You know that what does how do you reconcile yourself with a world in which the people you love most could go at any moment? And of course, there's a word for that world, and it's called ours. Yeah. <laughs> and so, if you're making a show that is really about our world and about issues that happen to any, could happen to any of us at any time, use fantastical elements, use um, flights of fancy, use heavy imagery, use Hyatt's in Texas to tell that story. Because a story about people losing people in their lives is a documentary. Right. And that's not what we want to watch. I that's mean, right. Some people want to watch it, but that's not what we want to watch on Sunday nights on HBO. Right. And you want to watch progress. I mean, like, I think that you and I could could have an entire series of conversations about The Wire that nobody would want to listen to, but I could just go on and on about how brilliant that is. And Sure. Um, but ultimately... We'll book the studio. You know, you only needed to watch season one of The Wire to kind of know that the ending of The Wire, whenever it was going to be, was not going to, going to say, like, Baltimore is saved. And not only is Baltimore <laughs> saved, but Baltimore is now basically the, the, the Petri dish that is going to save... Yeah. America, yeah, like we, we're gonna the get wire is going here. to give us a solution for for class difference and and racism and addiction and the failings of the education system and the cynicism of of the media. It's going to fix all that. No, it's just going to show it to us. And so, but at the same time, the characters didn't accept it. You know, Lester is still friggin' there. Yeah, you know, and so, um, like you can do a show where the where you're living in that world hours mm -hmm. but if the the characters can't accept it and so the minute that Nora Durr says I don't want to be that person yep. who gets shot in the chest by prostitutes anymore I'm leaving that energy I don't want to be defined by my loss and then it but then it comes in and it knocks on her door and it's pointing like a gizmo at yeah. her and it's accusing her of being responsible for yeah. the loss of the girl next door who she knows in her heart is not really gone in yeah. the way that her children are, then you're on to something. Yeah. 
And and by the way, I should note, I'm, the reason I'm not asking you to explain any specific detail of the season is because I am firmly now believing in believer in letting the mystery be. I appreciate. I, I, I don't. I don't want to know. And you know, at the beginning, you mentioned that you did some press partly to save the show, and so now I I forgive you because I I actually didn't even I didn't read the I didn't read the interviews that you did right because I wanted to test that and see how it would go. Not engaging, you know, yeah. with that the meta conversation about the show. No, I, I heard you. Very, this is strange because here we are now talking to one another and you watch what I write and I listen to what you yeah. say about what I write. And I, you know, and I heard you and Chris when you were saying like, I, I, I almost wish that Damon wasn't out there yeah. talking about the show. And I was like, I was just shaking my, uh, nodding my head, not shaking yeah. my head, nodding my head going like, I wish I wasn't yeah. talking out there talking about the show either. Like, you know, trust me, there is no part of me that feels like, I mean, I'm enjoying the conversation that we're having now. And I also feel like it is fundamentally hypocritical for me to expect the cast of the show to go and do like all this press and that I am above it all. Right. If it like if it is being demanded of me, why do I get to say I'm not going to go out and sell? Right. Like so there's a there is, you know, in the um, in the immortal words of of uh, of of uh, Dick Whitman. Um, you know, that's what the money is for. And so I, I do feel like I don't get to say no to that stuff. Yeah. Um, or at the very least, um, uh, uh, I do feel there's a debt. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong about that. Like I, as a fan of like, uh, breaking bad, like I want to hear Vince Gilligan yeah, I, I talk do too. and, you know, when I watched Mr. Robot and I love the fact that Sam was not talking during in season yeah. But then when he decided to start talking after season, I, I, I don't I guess I don't feel like I deserved it. But it's like, I want to hear what this guy has to say well, about as a his art. Podcast you know? interviewer, I was grateful, as I am grateful for your time here. Um, we should probably wrap up and let me let me do so with a a, a, a song. Two questions. <laughs> let me let's let's, <laughs> let's sing a little do bit. So with the song. Um, yeah. uh, two questions that are essentially the same question, which is what story with again, no specifics. I'm just curious what emotional story you feel excited to still tell with this with the leftovers b-side how are you <laughs> uh, wow how do i um how do i uh take this the second part first I, I, just a snapshot because we're speaking in december you've just had the show renewed you're about to go into this you know you'll have the holidays and then at some point you're gonna have to go back into this world and into yeah. this how am I? I'm feeling, you know, I'm good. That's like my general state of being. I'm happy and I'm starting to feel anxiety. Like I'm, you know, my, my anxiety manifests itself as waking up in the middle of the night, always at the same time, like between 2.30 and 3 a.m. and sort of lying there for 45 minutes or so before I can go back to sleep. Sometimes I can't. And that's, that started happening a couple of days ago, um, coinciding, you know, like about three days after the pickup, whereas like now I'm going to have to excuse me, do this. Um, but it's, it's a good anxiety because, and this isn't hubris, but it's sort of like if we can retain the team, you know, from, from season two, I know, I know that we can make a great season of television. Mm -hmm. Like, because it's not all on me. Like, um, like it's not, you know, I, I get, I get to be, um, uh, uh, I feel like I have control, um, enough that I'm not feeling anxiety about that where, most anxiety derives from being out of control. 
but I also feel like when I relinquish control and other, and I allow others, like there's just super smart, talented people all around me that have taken an intense pride and ownership on this show. And that's why we fight in the, and, and argue in the writer's room, which is like, it's their show now too. And I love that. Like they would, they would die. They would bleed for the show. And so if I can, you know, if I'm fortunate enough to get those individuals back, then the season's going to be good. It's going to be a lot of hard work, but so I'm not like, I'm not worried about like shitting the bed and, um, uh, that famous last words. Um, but, uh, uh, so, you know, good. Talk to me in two months. Um, and then, well, we're meeting for our wire pod then. Good, good. And then, you know, the, the other, the other part of it is I know when I don't know, I mean, I have, I, I have gut instincts about, uh, about the story that I want to tell. And they're all sort of, you know, they're all sort of attached to, you know, a continuation of pre-existing themes, but magnifying certain areas of them. And one of the areas that I've been really interested in is, is this, is this, is, is what I'll call like the life of Brian idea. You know, that movie, Mm -hmm. um, the, um, the Monty Python film where, and Brian basically, he lives next door to Jesus Mm -hmm. or like in the same neighborhood as him. Mm -hmm. And as Jesus is, um, is becoming, uh, Jesus, you know, Brian is sort of stumbling through, uh, through life and uh graham chapman does a full christopher christopher eggleston yeah graham chapman shows his dong so there Um, you go and and sort of bears like a a, like a slight resemblance to matt jameson there's something there i see dong wise anyway my dad showed me uh that movie like most of the python movies before i really had any level of of understanding so like my takeaways from it, but i always remember that scene um where he's 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 trying to hide and he just jumps up on this box and he starts making stuff up yep. like and um, and then the Romans uh, scuttle by and he's safe. And then he's like Phew! and he gets off the box and like the followers are like, hey, wait, what, what, what were you saying? And he's like, oh, no, 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 that, that was just bullshit. Like and then they just start following him. Mm-hmm. And I I've always thought that, you know, the um, the idea of the reluctant prophet, mm-hmm. you know, um, we've we've. We've explored this area almost ad nauseum, at least for us as writers of of where is my mind to the point where it's like we we like we went from like oh we can't use that song because Mr. Robot used it to like <laughs> let's just grind it let's use it over and over yeah. again. I actually laugh when you and Chris talk about it because it it was partially intentional. But anyway, that story is now told. Is Kevin crazy or not? Yeah. Now maybe he is and maybe he isn't. But it's but Kevin is done. Um, asking himself that question because he chose what was behind the crazy door. Yeah, I mean, in terms of like he drank the poison, so he didn't he didn't go with Lori's version. Right, he didn't. He's and he, and and Kevin Garvey like basically checking into a mental institution at the beginning of season three is not a story that I'm interested in telling. Thank so goodness. if Kevin Garvey decides that he's not crazy, yeah. then what? Like and um like that's that's interesting to me. Yeah. Like, and the show still has to remain in the space of Prada and I have always talked about, um, the, the idea that because 2% of the world's population disappeared, the show should only be 2% supernatural yeah. and it should be 98% grounded. Yeah. That being said, there's a, there's like 40% of the 98% where it presents as supernatural, but it's just somebody jobbing you. 
And so, or you don't know. I mean, there's the uns- right. there's the uncertainty right yeah. there. David Copperfield in a post departure world, you're like, yeah. whoa, that guy's a miracle worker. Yeah. You know, if, if if you know David Blaine actually you know wants you to believe that those are not tricks that he's yeah. doing, and in a post departure world, maybe they're not. Right. Um. And so you can't tell anymore. And that idea is really interesting to me. And again, just because we're talking about Fight Club, um, I've always loved, um, I don't, I've always loved that bit in Fight Club where Ed Norton hasn't quite figured it out yet, and and like Meatloaf and Jared Leto are like, "Yes, sir," and he's like, "What?" Like, and so the idea of of how are people treating Kevin once his legend begins yeah. to spread, but he still just wants to be Kevin. Um, but Meatloaf won't leave him alone. Meatloaf season three. You heard it here first. That was we're my getting, takeaway. I'm sorry. I, yeah, we're getting the loaf because let's be <laughs> honest, the show is called The Leftovers. That's and nothing keeps like a nice loaf of meat. You know, I. How can anyone ever criticize you for your endings? Because that was perfect. Right. I mean, I I, I can't imagine a better note to end on. Well, uh, yeah. Um, I, I can, but <laughs> feel but free to feel yeah, free to pitch me in, some in more. In the words. same spirit of season three, <laughs> let's 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 quit while we're while we're ahead. Um. Damon, I really can't thank you enough for your your openness, your time, and your your kindness, even behind the scenes when I was not being entirely kind to your show. It, it, it's meant a lot, and I have really, you know, you you saw the evidence. I I you got me. You were being fair, and uh, and I appreciate your honesty and candor, and that's why I continue to listen to you, and I look forward to you hating, hating with a capital Just, H, all no all caps, yeah, hating, um, uh, sad emoji, hating yeah. all caps, sad emoji. The first five minutes of, of season three. All That's I, the gauntlet that I throw. All I can you, say sir. is come at me. I can't wait. <laughs> Hopefully we'll talk again. Then. I want to see that meme. <laughs> you arms spread wide. Come Just, at me, bro. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Nice. I'm coming. All right. Thanks, David. Thank you.